sports um, have highs and lows. There's always a winner. There's always someone who lost. Um, and that normal healthy friction um, comes in that makes the game exciting. Uh, that pushes you, pushes uh, and challenges gamers to master the moves, to master, to craft their team and win. That is the intrinsic motivation that we all have, but also the highlights, the, uh, the moments of joy that happen, you know, that is the gold mine. How do we amplify it? How do we also aid the friction points? Um, if someone is losing, why? What do they need to master? What do they need to know? Um, so all of that comes in handy in how we look at games and how we help gamers progress and um, improve and, you know, try one more time and win. Hi everyone, welcome to Desandras, where we interview the most forward-thinking and innovative creatives on the planet to inspire and help you to reach your full creator potential. In the episode, I chat with Lilia Mandrino, Director of Experience Design at eSports FIFA. And we learn about how to design for games. Games by itself are a very emotional product, just like automotive products are a very emotional product. And the design process is actually quite different to a maybe more utility-driven product, like a financial application, for example. So we're going to learn about that. We're also going to learn about multi-sensory design and the importance of telling a narrative when it comes to the user journey. Actually something that I think, something that we can learn from designing for such emotional products and see how we can apply that to maybe our own projects. And I've been a former gamer myself when it comes to FIFA and really played a big role in my teenager years. So I really hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. All right, so I'm here with Lilia Mandrido. Director of Experience Design at eSports FIFA. So thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, Sebastian, for having me, uh, having me on the podcast. Uh, pleasure to connect with you as well. Yeah. So we're going to talk about your role at EA Games FIFA, how to design games, uh, how do you structure the process when it comes to that, uh, what is different to maybe usual design process or usual UX UI design um, job that you know people may can re refer to and how does this maybe also changing when it comes to designing for games you know it's a highly emotional product we talked a little bit about already before the recording about how you know how emotional the the, the audience is about the product uh, in this game in this case the game and um, so super interesting um, I think what would be really helpful for the audience uh, Lydia if you could give a bit of an outline about your background because You know, work at EA, EA Games FIFA, but you have been doing a lot of things in the past. I'm originally from Ukraine, where I spent 27 years of my life. Graduated from uh, a university with a dual degree in psychology, in German language and literature. Unfortunately, there is very little I remember with uh, German language because haven't applied it actively in the past mm -hmm. many, many years. Yes, but that's been a passion of mine. Ukraine is also where I got my first job um, at Template Monster. It was a small startup that actually grew into something very special and very successful. This is where I spent eight years of working on creating websites. Back then, we also used Macromedia Flash, anything from highly lightweight uh, CSS, HTML websites to software. 
Um, lots of uh, interesting work that happened there and lots of growth for me as well. And I think when iPhone 4 or 3 entered the Ukrainian market, this is where I have I have been fascinated with mobile experiences. And between 2010 and 2014, I have been solely focusing on the mobile apps. Mm-hmm. And there was a Quite the journey, uh, really figuring that out. 2015 marks my move to the U.S. And um, ever since, I'm working um, within the experience design realm, um, helping medium to large size uh, companies excel Mm -hmm. in experience design. And today, I am leading experience design at EA Sports FIFA. Yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, long journey going to different stations, I think, not always um uh, you know looking at different sort of like areas i think which is i think interesting if you look at some of your your past projects was there any kind of particular project that uh, you really for the first time you recognize the impact and maybe also positive change you can do as a designer when it comes about changing a product influencing the sort of experience or getting very positive feedback from customers later using the product is there any kind of project that kind of stood out from the past where the first time you recognize about the impact that you can actually have as a designer when it comes to um, um, uh, having a positive impact? Yes, I think um, everything we do at uh, EA Sports FIFA, I think has an enormous positive impact because we do unite people in a very Mm -hmm. divided world. Mm-hmm. We do unite communities through a common passion for sport, for football. I also think that games have been helping us, um, you know, keeping the kids off the streets or giving someone who can't participate in physical sports to experience what athletes are feeling on the pitch. Um, that is definitely the, the highlight. Now, looking back several years ago, I've been observing how people struggle with uh, goal setting, achieving goals, being consistent. And I had this idea for a framework that will help people reach their goals, reach their potential. And the idea is quite simple. It's just one thing. The uh, mobile app is called Jot. And this is something that uh, I've been working on before joining FIFA. It's on pause now, but I think at some point I will come back because I think there is a responsibility that we designers have in helping people overcome obstacles, whether it's physical, emotional. uh, And I think habit formation hasn't been something people are really good at. Um, Tough. Yeah. It is. It is. And I think we do tend to overcomplicate things in many ways. Um, Let's say you decide to start a new diet. Um, People buy suddenly the two-week complex programs. It's really challenging to stick with, right? We all have a very limited amount of time. We not always have time to prep um, or even the workouts. Let's say you have committed yourself to three workouts a week. How do you stick to that? And in my mind, it is all about simple steps every single day. 
you did just the duly workout, just one thing, and that is your accomplishment for today. You eat something healthy, and that is just one thing for your day. And you just repeat it, repeat it a thousand times, and you will end up in a better place. It's been definitely something that I've thought about for quite some time because. I know I'm good at goal setting, but I have seen people fail and stop and pause and really feel bad about that. And I think it's about simplification. How do you simplify your goals? How do you simplify your life? But more so, I think it's about the consistency. I couldn't agree more. And I think it's so nice that you share this. You know, I think it's the same in my my personal life. You know, I I try to kind of like change things with like small habits and I think that's how you do them. I and mean, there are plenty of books of it. I think I'm going to name the mm -hmm. same books um, uh, like you. I mean, uh, 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 basically about like, how do you create habits? Um, and, you know, a common problem uh, is that people set too high, make try to make too big steps, right? So they try to do it all at once. Like right? you become vegan mm -hmm. from the next day to the other, or you change your diet from next day to the other. Or you, you, you're going to go now, you start a new week and you set yourself the goal of going to the, the gym three times per week. I mean, we should start with mm -hmm. one time and again, slowly build it up. Right. And, you know, always focus on one thing at a time. And, um, uh, yeah, I think as designers, I think uh, in terms of like how we design the products, how we design the flows, how do we shape the digital experience, we can influence that. Right. Uh, it's also about teaming up with, with other disciplines. Um, so, um, I think there's great power in designer, uh, coming together with, you know, science coming together with, um, uh, you know, bringing in aspects of psychology and, um, shaping behaviors, um, on the podcast, I had many episodes on sort of, uh, behavior design and, and, um, I think it's a, it's a great topic where designers can actually have a lot of things specifically these days, because there's so much noise, so much distraction, people have a hard time kind of controlling themselves or like, you know, working towards a certain purpose. So, um, it's great that you point that out. So if you think about the design process of games, how is that different differentiating towards the design process of, let's say consumer interfaces, uh, specifically, I mean, if we're talking about the UX UI that you're specifically focusing when it comes to games, uh, can you talk a little bit more about how that, that How does that change mm -hmm. maybe to a usual design process? If you think about yes, like a mobile, um, app, mobile application, for example. For sure. I thought about that and spending many years in product design and coming to the games. I think there is the, the biggest difference is actually the impact uh, between games and the product, um, as well yeah. as the length of the engagement. When... People open their mobile app. Normally, they want to um, accomplish a task mm -hmm. or book a flight, start the workout and finish it. They want to book a property. And it's more so incremental and not as um, lasting connection with, with the experience. While with games... People do tend to engage for a longer time, for mm -hmm. longer mm -hmm. sessions. They want to indulge in that. And so I think that is the biggest difference that also dictates some of the processes that differ from the product designer games. Mm 
Now, the games are also highly, highly emotional. Um, they immerse you. They do fast forward your consciousness into the future. And so I think the, the understanding of that dictates the multi-sensory approach to how do we design games. Um, and you know, on the other end, the banking app might not need to spark as much emotion, does not have to immerse you because that's yeah. a transaction that you need to complete safely and quickly. In games, it's the opposite. You want to indulge in that immersion. 100%. I think you framed it really great. I think it's a very emotional product and it's not about sort of, I mean, in most applications that people design, we're talking to, you know, the designers uh, here. It's, it's, you know, it's very often about doing a task, but doing it also quickly. Of course, you know, most applications have the goal of keeping people longer, longer in the app. Yeah, but um, uh, you know there are a lot of lot of applications as as SaaS products etc. They're utility driven, right? They have a certain task that, uh, and people value if a cons consumer experience is kind of quick, right? Of course, there's social application, entertainment. It's all that context. I've, in a recent episode, I talked to one of the lead designers at Netflix, for example, right? If it, it's also an entertainment product, you also have a longer duration with the with the product. It's, it's also different to, I think, most UX UI design uh, projects. Um, I also see great overlap between what you just said and the automotive space, actually, right? Really? Because that's also, that's, also very that's also a very emotional product, right? It's about, like you said, you have to, you, you have to think about the sound, right? In, when it comes to the, the game design, uh, you have to think about like you can have people actually spend time in your application. And it's about emotionalizing that journey from, and I know myself, I'm a big, I was big on FIFA uh, all my life, um, uh, especially in the, in the teenage years uh, of mine. Uh, and you know, that, that sort of journey where you select a team and you kind of get ready for the, the game. That's sort of like uh, a, a process people also really enjoy. Right. And kind of making that great. It's not about speed so much. And when it comes to automotive um, experiences, it's, it's similar in the way that the product is highly emotional. So the interface is like wants to capture that emotional aspect, right? Mm -hmm. It wants to give you that sort of uh, scene and 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 a certain a certain certain vibe in the interface that that I think is very similar to you know how you try to do it with with uh, with FIFA, right? Where You may mm -hmm. want to create um, anticipation, for example, right? So kind of like, you know, seeing the stadium already when you come in, sort of that sort of um, anticipation towards the, the game and that joy of anticipation, right? Um, It is. And, It is. And, and then sort of even the game itself, you can emotionalize that to the interface design, right? I mean, it's similar if you think about sort of a dashboard where, you know, if you drive a, a car, um, like if you specifically, for example, if it's a sport car, you try to make that experience that the user has even more emotional to the digital layer. And that's, I see great similarity here between game space and FIFA and maybe the automotive space, if that makes sense. For sure. And I do think it is about really understanding the highs and the lows and designing around those hot spots. Mm -hmm. That is uh, what makes games in general are really enjoyable, satisfying experiences. Can you outline this a little bit for all who may not understand like what you mean with high and lows? 
Well, I think uh, sports, for example, mm-hmm. sports um, have highs and lows. There's always a winner. There's always someone who lost. Um, and that normal healthy friction comes in that makes the game exciting. Uh, that pushes you, pushes uh, and challenges gamers to master the moves, to master, to craft their team and win. That is the intrinsic motivation that we all have, but also the highlights, the uh, the moments of joy that happen. You know, that is the gold mine. How do we amplify it? How do we also aid the friction points. Um, if someone is losing, why? What do they need to master? What do they need mm-hmm. to know? Um, so all of that comes in handy in how we look at games and how we help gamers progress and um, improve and you know try one more time and win. It's interesting, right? I mean, in, if you design a usual application, do you kind of by design, you try to avoid any loss, right? <laughs> you, you really try that there is no no major low in your application, right? With, with games, you cannot control. I mean, sometimes you're going to lose. That's part of the thrill, right? It so, is a part of it. Yes. So, and then sort of thinking about, you know, how can you like work with the motivation now and keep people engaged and, and sort of design that, that journey. Um, yeah. You also talked about multi-sensory experiences already. And I think this kind of ties together to creativity. I think we already started mm-hmm. to touch on that. I think people, you know, and I, I mean, I can just talk about the automotive space because I worked on in, in that space uh, um, for a long time. So uh, you have a lot more, let's say, cr- uh, creativity than you may have on other products when it comes to the execution of, of the design just due to the just to the emotional aspect, but just also to the, the, the richness and the product and the, the, the use cases and the, the, the fact that it's may not just purely utility driven. Can you talk a bit about that, the creativity that game design or game interface design allows for designers? Yes, and I think it's not just allowing games interfaces demand demand that creativity because in many ways gamers expect it. Mm -hmm. They do want to experience the very best. And if you don't deliver, someone else will. And so it's not even an option. We we must innovate. We must approach it creatively so our gamers can enjoy it and really immerse themselves into the moment. Yeah, and I think it's interesting if you if I think about game interface design, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but you know I think there's always a there's the sort of atmosphere of the game you always already try to bring to the menu, for example, right? So there is a certain aspect of sort of the 3D mm-hmm. game itself, the, the the game design itself, the actual where people spend a lot of time, and then whole that whole journey towards that game. Which is as important. Uh, when I was talking to um, uh, one of the designers at Netflix, uh, I've been talking to other um, uh, designers working in the entertainment space, um, like, like Disney, etc. They also say like the journey towards deciding the movie and then actually watching the movie is for them like you know they look at it as important as the actual you know watching oh, yes. the movie, right? <laughs> and it's, I think it's similar probably in the in the game space, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. 
Yes, and I think um, that's actually a good point because your experience with the game doesn't start when you press uh, the start button on the screen. It's when you pick up the controller, when you open um, PlayStation or Xbox or Stadia or Steam. That is the moment when the experience starts. And so we have to be very, very careful so that experience isn't exhausting and daunting to the gamer by the time they land into the uh, the menu or a hub. It's still an enjoyable uh, anticipation of the fun that's yet to come. And I think that is important. You could say the game starts right there, right? Yeah, <laughs> sort of, absolutely, right? yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, some games do this, right? Some games, they if you open it for the first time, you, you know, for example, some so racing games, for example, right? If you start uh, the game for the first time, you're immediately in the race. Mm-hmm. You're not even about selecting anything. They just want to get you into the game as quick as possible, right? And, That's right. And, and That's right. usually they make the bot so, so easy that you always win. <laughs> so you have a positive <laughs> moment right away. I don't know if that's a trick or what's behind that, but usually they have, they, you know, it's very often uh, basically uh, that way just to get people into the game, kind of like experience it. And then mm-hmm. you can do, you know, set up uh, like your race car and the menu and everything. Um, yeah. And it's, it is another trick. Um, it is um, the, uh, the wise way to teach gamers how to engage with the game. It's teaching by doing and learning by doing, and there is no better way. Than playing the actual game. Yeah. Oh, yes. So um, with your work and and sort of like UX UI designers, uh, for example, in a context like EA games, but also in general, maybe you can help the audience a little bit to understand, um, you know, how that process usually works when there is, of course, the menu design, there is the interface design, there's the user journey that has to be defined, but there are also aspects like the game itself, right? Like at what moment you may be doing the game, uh, show information, how is this displayed? How do you usually is sort of um, UX UI designers uh, are looking at that whole process uh, from the kind of anticipation, the, the, the menus, to the actual game and then also thinking about the journeys in the, the game or is this usually another discipline like a game designer that thinks more about sort of that experience in the game can you talk maybe a little bit about the different disciplines of designs you may need to mm-hmm. bring a good game together yes um and i think this is definitely very signature to games that we have additive important disciplines that help us create a an experience that is beautiful that's immersive that's engaging and fun and game design is the key partner in that uh, there are many creative uh, decisions that have to happen that come from game design uh, ux is uh, stepping in to make sure that it's connected that the journey is uh, crafted with uh, continuity in mind How does it connect with other experiences and other chapters within the game? And the game design is definitely a key partner in that process. Now, there are also areas where we have heavier emphasis on the UX, navigation, for example, um, UI. We definitely are working on how things come together. How do they 
how can we design harmonious experience where there is balance of the visual acoustics, the story, the interactions that um, you know lead the gamer towards something? And I think in many ways, this is very collaborative process. There are heavier um, emphasis on the visual parts of the experience. There are some areas that are more so heavily dependent on the uh, game design. But because it's so complex, this dynamic shifts all the time. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are maybe also new disciplines emerging. Uh, sound design, uh, I think, uh, is probably, um, you know, I think, like you said, to multisensory sound plays mm -hmm. an important role as well. Um, it is I an important part. Uh, I think you notice it as a gamer, you notice it as much as you notice the change of interface if there's a new version of uh, mm -hmm. an, a, like a game. You notice like the sound when you, know, you go to, the, it's different to designing a mobile application again because Usually people have turned off the the, the, the sound at their, mm -hmm. their phone altogether, right? Mm -hmm. But I think in a gaming scenario, you usually do it on a, on a television, then sound is an, it's an important part of that. So, um, and there's, there's a lot of signature in this as well. Absolutely. I think um, everything, it's not just the reliance on the color change or the interaction, it is the haptics. It is the sound design. Um, it is the motion. It's everything that's happening per a given second. All of that connects uh, closely together. And to, to your point, yes, haven't seen people turning on their sound for notifications on the mobile phone, but gamers always appreciate a well-crafted audio support, whether it being... Um, you know, music, a playlist, or little sound bites when the, the, the menu gets expressed or when they navigate to the next level or where it's the moment of celebration and achievement. All of these uh, are quite important when we think about the game design. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. And could you mention any kind of common challenges? I mean, it doesn't have to re refer to mm -hmm. FIFA, but as you got, got so much experience in game design, or like designing games, you know, UX, UI, the extra game, et cetera. What are sort of usual common challenges that you that you face in that process where these are some of the, where you could say maybe these are some of the tricky things always to solve from a designer perspective uh, where mm -hmm. you try to uh, really emphasize that in the process? I think uh, the challenges, um, they tend to be, very consistent, which is needing to challenge the tech, tech limitations. Similarly, how we ended up with iPhones in our pockets because there was someone who had a big vision, big enough to challenge the tech conventions and tech. Um, and I think in games, it is the same in many ways. I think games have inspired a more performant technology and hardware. On the other hand, it's also challenging conventions. Uh, implementing a new interaction paradigm is not easy, uh, but with the given homework and the benefit that it might provide, um, those are probably uh, the challenges that anyone will face, not just the designer. I think uh, tech partners or game design, um, anyone who is uh, somewhat connected to the games, I think the, the te technological advancements and the conventions that get 
get to be redefined. We've seen it happening many, many times with uh, example being Destiny 2 moving towards the cursor-based navigation. And five years later, there are many more games mm -hmm. that have uh, approached the same, but that was new. That was new and a scary innovation. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is, yeah, this is, this is very interesting. Like the modality as well, right? You have a controller. Again, mm -hmm. very similar to automotive space because you're not just doing something on your phone like an app, but you actually, you have a remote control, you have gesture, you have voice, mm -hmm. you have direct touch. Sometimes you can just see information and not even interacting with it directly. This is very similar to the automotive uh, space. And that the other thing that's interesting, it's, and again, similar to the auto space, the performance aspect that you pointed out. As the product is more emotional, that also means emotional design requires more performance. Right? If you think about the animation you want to do in a menu, that mm -hmm. requires some performance. Otherwise, it's not going to run smooth, right? Um, and this is, again, very similar to the automotive space because you you have a certain... Uh, sort of uh, computer power in the in the car that you you know try to see how you can max sort of the experience out of uh, the available hardware. Very similar to what you're pointing out with you know designing something for you know PlayStation, Xbox, etc. or uh, computers, right? That's always a challenge. We already talked about the the difference between designing an emotional product and designing a product that is more utility driven, like the financial app, like you're pointing out. What also changes, I assume. Is sort of the way you set KPIs and like test the product because like maybe with the financial app, like you said, it's, you know, getting it done as quick as possible with the game. Now you set yourself, maybe like, like what emotional products also have, they have more cognitive load for the user to digest. Meaning mm -hmm. if you want to make it emotional, that also means the interface becomes richer, meaning also it maybe becomes, it, it is maybe not so utility driven. And if you're taking utility-driven KPIs here, how quick can I find this menu, et cetera, you're, you're automatically going to take away some of the creativity, basically, right? Um, but I, I'm very curious about your learnings in the, in, in the space. How do you bring together sort of, uh, sort of usability-driven KPIs, the aspect of cognitive load, and at the same mm -hmm. time, a very emotional interface that tells a story, that has a narrative, and where you may set yourself different goals in the testing, which are about like, how, what emotion did the f user feel, right? How, how, like, you know, like I assume there's going to be different KPIs in the testing. Yes, and I, that is a, a great question, but I think uh, it is a little bit of a, a misconception that an emotional uh, experience as you sacrifice the usability in games, it is a requirement to connect both the form and the function. That is what is making it uh, uniquely different. While I think the emotion gets sacrificed more so in product, because at times you do you do tend to race after the conversion and you know just the acquisition and and things that are more so utilitarian. Yeah. And so I think even though the emotional aspect might be perceived as subjective, it's quite measurable. How fast does it take to get from point A to point B? How do gamers respond going through this journey? How quickly they can, can understand highly complex and deep interfaces? How can they engage and be successful within that journey? So even though emotion tends to get misinterpreted as uh, subjective 
And it is to a point, it's quite measurable. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in UX, uh, we also talk about the UX. Sometimes it's about a good math too. Expresses anything that's uh, adding to the overall churn or anything that's eating up your precious minutes. Do you really want to grind through uh, a bunch of menus or you want to get in and out? Yeah. So when it comes to measuring the emotion, like you said, how are you usually doing that? Do you have sort of a group of test users like um, FIFA gamers? Yes. Um, I, I probably won't be able to touch on the how, but I can tell yeah. you that our gamers are telling us when we're doing well. And they're also telling us when we're not doing well. And that is uh, what we really love about that. It's quite an engaged community. Um, they care. Yeah. They enjoy, they celebrate things that, um, you know, allow them to feel something. And of course, um, in any experience, we're never done. There is more to do and there is more to really refine and transform and innovate. Oh, absolutely. Uh, talking about that, you said like there's more to design, looking a little bit into the future of, of gaming. It's interesting space right now we already talked a little bit before the recording about everything that is going on in the space about metaverse about nfts about augmented reality and all the technologies that coming into place generally speaking major consumer trends when it comes to e-gaming which is becoming more and more popular people live streaming their gaming experience and that is getting very popular for people to watch if you think a little bit about the future, is anything that sort of you see that really excites you personally also um, as a as a creative where you see there's going to be tremendous creative opportunities here to, to really do something new as a designer? Yes, I think um, what is really exciting to me is uh, the level of uh, immersion in games. Mm-hmm. They really take you on a journey. Mm-hmm. They take you through the uh, imaginative space, highly emotional. It is uh, fascinating because um, people, I think, uh, fast forward 100 years from now, are still going to be drawn to those emotional experiences. And that is exciting to me. There are so many interesting challenges and opportunities to design around that mm-hmm. I feel like there is never going to be a point where you can call it done. That is, I think, the the source of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think immersion as of the overarching topic, I think it's sort of like, uh, I think where there's going to be tremendous opportunities. I think what is also interesting, I think is probably culture. Um, I noticed from the automotive space, but also from from like maybe home appliances, for example. They're very different or they're going to be designed for different mm-hmm. markets. How's culture playing into uh, the, the role into game design? Is that just sort of a big topic? Like, you know, where sort of markets and, and maybe you have to find like different UX UI solutions for different different markets. Sometimes, for example, Chinese users are using a product differently <laughs> than maybe American users. There's maybe a certain expectations in certain certain markets any kind of learnings when it comes to sort of intersection of culture and game design yes and i think um generally speaking it does vary a little bit um some of that is dictated by how accessible gaming is 
mm-hmm. um, in countries like South Korea or Japan, it's probably more accessible to everyone than in other countries. In other regions, there is a heavy regulation by government uh, that also informs and influences and shapes the culture itself. There is definitely the regional and cultural aspect, but more so, I think, the economical the, the economy itself is dictating how accessible the games are. And in some countries, there's a shift towards normalizing games. And obviously, when uh, a country is struggling economically, it's really hard to think about enjoying a game or even buying a game. And so I think that applies to any country that is on the path of that growth. And it's always getting challenged by various, various factors, whether it being government or religion or economical uh, well-being of the nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, no, absolutely. Thinking a little bit about um, sort of the the aspect of visual design, right? Um, so, I mean, when you sort of, I think like what I, what I can see also with a lot of games is that, you know, when there is a new version out of an, uh, like a, a game, it changes quite a lot visually. But that also becomes very obvious to the user that it's a new version, right? Mm-hmm. And that may have some some aspect to exciting segment to it because it feels new again. Uh, uh, is it that an emotional product may need that bigger refreshment after some time to kind of get that, to kind of make the user kind of feel that? Is it about like that positive surprise when the user opens it? Is it about that feeling of newness? Um, can you talk a little bit about like, how do you try to balance, you know, maybe Photoshop is probably the complete opposite of it. <laughs> you know, if you think <laughs> of Photoshop interface, which is like, you know, very ut- uh, utility driven, where you really try to, where people get upset if you change too much, actually, in fact, mm-hmm. game mm-hmm. is a little bit different game interface. Can you talk a little bit about sort of your learnings when it comes to, comes to that? Yes, and I think uh, in many ways that is uh, an exciting part of uh, our job. Gamers, when they buy the next version of a game, they expect new and different experience. Obviously, the the heart and the soul of that experience uh, remains, um, you know, somewhat consistent gameplay, even though even in that uh, space, there is a ton of innovation that's happening in uh, all genres. Um, but in terms of the interactivity, visual, interaction, all of that is something that gamers expect to evolve. They expect to see something new and different. And when that doesn't happen, we hear it. Yeah, no, I can imagine. Again, similarity with the automotive interface, we're also... Just like the exterior and the interface, the interior mm-hmm. of a vehicle is changing. People are people um, in 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 the in the vehicle. Basically, also you usually have sort of a new version of a of the mm-hmm. sort of interface there, which is usually also changing. And yes. um, yeah, I think that's I think that's something about designing for emotional interfaces that um, that sort of you ha- you you want to bring that um, that freshness and people expect it. For sure. And I want to come back to the cultural attitudes or expectations uh, when designing games, because I think uh, outside of uh, just the external influences of the government or religion, um, there is also the norms 
um, various cultures identify different numbers as the numbers of misfortune uh, or colors. So that is, of course, the part that we should consider when we design interfaces for various markets. The other example that comes to my mind was the five-fingered characters in Japan. That is a must if you've noticed that. So Mm -hmm. I think there are many nuances that have to be taken in account or even the language. What phrases translate well? Why it's important to speak to gamers inclusively? Because there is at at some point, there is a a moment where a specific um, phrase doesn't really translate well in other cultures. And this is where we have to be mindful in how our voice and tone changes throughout and how do we make sure that each audience feels connected through really looking through the experience that knows their attitudes, the norms, and some of the cultural expectations. 100%. And I think that's interesting also, the copy, uh, the text, right? Because uh, again, like with an... An emotional product like designing for games, you have maybe also a little bit more room for creativity because you already, in the interface you design, it's all about the narrative and about telling a journey. So you may get a bit more creativity also when it comes to how do you execute that with the copy, with the text in the interface. Well, maybe it's it's a very utility-driven interface. Um, You want to be, you know, very on point, but it's not so much about telling a story or immersing mm-hmm. already the user into the story of of the game and the, the, the whatever the user gonna be basically experienced when they started. That's also For a point. Sure. It's a, a good point of view. Yeah, and I want to add that um, the challenge in games is that uh, per given second, a gamer needs to make um, many decisions, and so we also have uh, limited screen estate. We can't speak in Mm -hmm. paragraphs. In fact, this is what gamers don't want to do when they play games. They didn't come to the game to read walls of text. And so the challenge here is how do you you explain things in a very succinct and plain spoken way so they can understand it really quickly and uh, move on? While in the product design, you always have... uh, more time it is largely a static screen whether it's a mobile screen or mm-hmm. web screen um, from which you can read the copy in games it is the balance we have to strike how do we communicate what gamers need to know and when they need to know it but at the same time uh, without preventing them from the main objective which is enjoying the play a hundred percent and um and uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of room for creativity. I think the other thing that, um, uh, you know, I think that's interesting is that you design for multiple devices. You already talked about just the screen size uh, you just mentioned. Um, if you design a game, it has to work on multiple platforms, right? It has to work on a computer. It has to work on the television, on a console, right? Like um, Xbox or PlayStation. Some of them also have to work mobile. All of them are very different when it comes to modality, right? Some you have a mouse and keyboard, some you have a controller. It's very different. Uh, and designing for that remote or direct interaction is you're automatically creating different interfaces. Same story again in automotive, where sometimes you're touching things directly, sometimes using remote gesture. And like designing for it, it's influencing the interface design. 
and um and uh it's also a challenge i mean i assume like in your case is it fair to have someone compete with a certain like there's also sort of like a people use it i mean people get better over time with you know certain things but there's probably also some learnings in terms of like what what works better for someone you know on you, you basically have to study the different devices and like how does it work mm -hmm. with the game it's kind of interesting yeah so i think in many ways gamers uh, do have uh, almost like a primary uh, yeah. place they go to to enjoy and there's also an intermittent um, way to engage with the game whether it being mobile and enhancing your console experience with mobile and vice versa yeah yeah it's uh for many people it's a religion right if they have a certain way they cannot play games they like to continue playing these games in that manner just as a last question i mean we already talked about visual design so much um the fact that you know it gives game design for games gives so much opportunity for creativity where do you draw your inspiration what inspires you in order to, if you think about the next version of FIFA or the next version of a game, where do you draw your inspiration from uh, to basically unleash that creativity? That is a, such a good question. I have to give it uh, a minute. I think there is a motivation to deliver the very best experience to our gamers, period. This is the pursuit and the journey I'm on as, uh, as well as uh, many other creatives in the games uh, industry. I think we definitely have the way to get inspired from movies and architecture and other fields that are far distant from you know, the first look from games. And yet they are the source of inspiration for many other areas. There's a lot, and I think it the the inspiration is also how can we continue enhancing that emotional journey? And I think at the end of the day, whatever it takes, whether it's um, really over-indexing on sound design, haptics, well-timed experiences, immersion, immersive UI, the journeys, and all the things that come together. And I think the more... I am working on games, the more I see the need for originality, mm -hmm. uh, the more I see the need to stop copying other experiences, the more I see the need to innovate. And to innovate, mm -hmm. you really don't have much to look around you because everything has become a little bit of a template and games need something very different. Yeah, yeah. And that makes it exciting as a designer, I think, you know, working on these displays because there's room for innovation. There's room to think different mm -hmm. and to not follow standard templates, but yes. really think about the narrative you want to create that requires some maturity of designers as well because, uh, well, you could say only if you know the rules really well, you know when to break them, maybe. <laughs> uh, or basically, you know, how can you sort of like, uh, sort of apply it maybe in a different way uh, or, or come up with creative solutions that actually uh, uh, work for the user. Um, so I think that's that's super interesting. All right, you already talked a little bit about like the team and the different stakeholders that you need to execute a game design when it comes to XUI and the whole multi-sensory experience. How do you motivate your team when it comes to that to set a mission and to to sort of set a goal and 
and work towards, like you said, creating the best experience possible. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that is a, an important part of uh, any any company's uh, success in the people who are working on the experience. And what I find is that talented designers do want to be challenged creatively. And to do that, um, you know, thinking back, what really uh, comes to my mind is there is a need to be present with them. There is a need to, you know, live by example. There is a need to expose them to your own influence as the manager, um, as well as your failures and, you know, let them see that you recover and you get back to the game. I also think there is nothing more demotivating than the manager that does not have the strategy, that does not have a plan. And in many ways, uh, they, they also need, designers need someone to cheer them up for the new success and new accomplishment happens. That way, you know, being engaged, there is nothing else that works best in my experience. It's the manager that is there with you, for you, because at the end of the day, we are in it together Mm -hmm. and we're better together. We're more creative together. And I think we're also more fulfilled together. So that is the, the sense of community and creative challenge that really produces the best results yeah it's about it's a team sport just like fifa uh is as well uh where it's about uh putting together a team you know uh and you need the striker you need the defender you need the person the goalkeeper and you need and it's you know you, mm-hmm. you, one person's not going to do it uh themselves and uh and uh, I think it's, yeah, it's very similar to the game you actually uh, design in your day-to-day and you're responsible for. Uh, Absolutely. And, and yeah. you know, and I also think that it's not enough to be talented. You really need to also work hard. But uh, looking back at my journey, you also need uh, a good manager and people around you that can help you to get through this journey that is what i want them to focus on you know producing really good work less of uh, overcoming unfair obstacles and things that have uh, you know impacted many people's journeys oh uh, absolutely i mean the importance of mentorship is i think uh, uh it's mentorship is critical i think to the development of designers and to to keep them motivated and keep them uh evolving if if people don't have a mentor i think i can definitely recommend it to to you know for designers to find a mentor like a more senior designer a more maybe the the actual department lead uh, like in your case um uh, to to be the, the 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 mentor and kind of grow and uh yeah i think it's key I think uh, mentorship happens everywhere. Um, and yeah. I happen to arrive to, you know, a thinking that the the inspiration and the mentorship is all around us. And mm-hmm. there are many people um, at work uh, or in the past that have been my mentors without realizing that they have been my yeah. mentors because there's some things that they yeah. did really well. And I saw how well it works. 
And I saw how productive that is. And I made a note for myself. Um, I also think it's uh, important to be approaching the mentorship with caution. If there is someone who's uh, willing to offer mentorship up front so willingly, um, to me, that is a little bit of a red flag. Because uh, what I believe people who probably should mentor, they often don't have time. And people who aren't necessarily um, are going to bring you value as a mentor probably tend to offer the mentorship up front a little bit too often. And I think it's about the balance between what are the things that you think you need to learn um, and what are the things that you need to look for in other places. Maybe it's people, maybe it's books, maybe it's movies, maybe it's um, learning another subject. Yeah. Really, really soaking in um, the, the, the knowledge from everywhere. No, a hundred percent. I mean, um, it's about education in the end, right? And you can get it at, at so many places and, um, and, uh, different people can be for you a role model in different things. And it's not maybe about the whole person at large, but about mm -hmm. different things. Like you say, you know, I think I remember myself, I, I, you know, when I, uh, in the past, you know, also my, my past roles, there was, for example, if, you know, if someone was really good at presentation, really good at selling a design, right? I, I mean. I was just listening and trying to understand like how the person did it and what can I learn from it. And, uh, that's a, that's a way of, of mentoring. Like you, you, like you said, and you can pick it also yourself and decide from whom do you want to learn it? I think the other thing is then, you know, if you, if you sort of have a motivated team and you march towards a certain direction, I think one of the, one of the kind of, uh, topics always for designers has been sort of an ongoing topic in this podcast, design drives at large. How do you frame design towards business stakeholders? How do you, and specifically now in the, your context, game design, right? So how do people, business stakeholders understand the value of the business value of having good, um, user experiences and user interface design when it comes to games? Yes, and um, what helped me is connecting through the uh, insights, um, through data, through research, because um, between uh, those tools, you know, the data and the insights, you can almost precisely translate the emotion into a pragmatic value. I also know that business stakeholders are very competitive. They want to be the best. And so when the depth and the strategy comes uh, in the form of a well-planned uh, and thorough design, they, they will offer support. They will see the value. Um, I enjoy working with business stakeholders in many ways. Um, mm -hmm. The connecting the creative and strategic part of design Mm -hmm. is the highlight. People respond to a deep and thoughtful strategy really well, whether it being stakeholder, on the business side, or design. Um, everybody can see the depth. A hundred percent. And the best thing is if you're, if you're, if you're, I mean, if you, your design aligns with sort of the business, right? And, and you can sort of like um, argue uh, that in the, in, in the right way. Uh, at many episodes on this on the podcast, you know, is, I mean, it's it's a language in the end. Learning a language, learning the language of businesses, and understanding how do you need to communicate design. It's it's 
you're using um, using different words, then well, I'm doing it because it's more pretty, but you're kind of trying to think about like, you know, what does that mean, right? <laughs> and mm -hmm. uh, what's the value of that actually? And to try to speak it in a different language. And um, yeah, I think it's... it's um, it. I think it also is important to align um, and join the organization that is on the same path with you as a, as a mm -hmm. leader. Yeah. Um, and I think many of us have the learnings in the past, uh, you know, many years ago, um, I was working at the company and the company was quite successful. They've been in the business for quite some time. Um, and it was more of an old school approach, very careful, steady, and something in my mind, I couldn't settle. Something didn't feel right. I knew that we need to elevate the design, the experience itself, if we want to continue being competitive. But um, for many reasons, I have let myself get convinced by the, uh, you know, the state of mindset in that company that it's okay as is. And fast forward a couple of years, there is a competitor that comes out with highly emotional, highly usable experience that wasn't taken seriously up front. And yet it cost a market share to the business. Mm -hmm. And I think coming out of that experience, I have made the promise to myself to always stand by meaningful innovation and change as uncomfortable as it might be. Um, as challenging as it might be, and really doing the homework, uh, showing how this new strategy could be translated to a beautiful emotional design that is also lasting, that is the competitive advantage, because at some point, everybody can nail down the convention, and it's more about who can ship things faster. Um, but, you know, there is something at the core of the experience that is the key for the user in the business. You know, a hundred percent. I think it's, it's like, I think like just because maybe things going well, doesn't mean things could be even better. And maybe your strategy may still be, uh, they're still open for innovation. There's always open and like having that openness to innovation, even though you should be, I mean, there's a saying like, um, be better, it's better be the person to disrupt yourself than the per other, other company to disrupt you, right? And that <laughs> reflect like a, a, a level of sort of open-mindedness, right? I mean, to rethink what we have been doing and sort of maybe the assumptions we have, are they still correct, right? Mm -hmm. uh, is there room for innovation uh, mm -hmm. in areas mm -hmm. where we may have not thought about and uh, keeping that open-mindedness? Um, and sort of that ability to, to shape, constantly shape. A lot of businesses lose that over some time. It was a topic in just one of the last episodes uh, that, you know, many organizations, they're very creative in the beginning and then they turn into sales companies, right? And they lose the ability to shape, to, to create and to mm -hmm. innovate. And this is so important uh, to, to keep that. Uh, mm -hmm. Nowadays, Specifically, with uncertain environments we are in, both economics, political, and environmental, having that openness for for innovation, I think, is key to to survival of any business. Absolutely, and in many ways, um, even the way 
I build teams. It's the team that can do not just the work of today, but actually the work of tomorrow, the skill set, the ability to introduce a new convention, being unbound by old ways of doing things. Um, that is, in fact, I think, the strength that we can bring to the organization. That is the challenge and the exciting part of my job as well. Um, to bring and I team. think, yeah, so you, you, you've got to be comfortable with uh, innovation. And I respect the journey of optimization. That is a big part of any business. But at the same time, you just can't even test your way into greatness. You can't. You have to have the vision first. Yeah, yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think that's really where the designer come into place to materialize the abstract, materialize that vision and, mm -hmm. um, you know, working that out in a co-creative process with different stakeholders to create shared ownership. So, um, yeah, I think I totally agree that. So I think, um, Lilia, it was really amazing to, to hear from you and all of the insights we're reaching here at the top of the, the hour. Before, before we end, I have one more question to you. You have to give, tell that to the <laughs> audience. What is your FIFA team you usually pick? My FIFA team, I really enjoy um, playing squad battles. I really enjoy uh, playing Volta. That gives you a snappy feeling, a very different football feeling. I love the strategic component of career. Um, and between these three spaces, it's really hard to say which team I choose for FIFA. Uh, I guess I love to play a lot of different ways. Yes. Playing different teams. Yeah. Yes. Uh, in, in my case, it used to be always Chelsea. I was always sort of going with Chelsea because they had okay. Didi Drogba in the front and Didi Drogba was hard to beat uh, as a striker mm -hmm. in the game. <laughs> uh, and, uh, But you know. I tell yeah. you, I tell you what, I tell you what, um, when I uh, joined FIFA, um, of course, I grew up uh, hearing and watching the legends uh, um, many of us have seen before. But stepping into this very unique world of football, I have made the decision to cheer for female teams, women mm. in football, and the United States yeah. uh, football team. And Alex Morgan has been uh, a little bit of heroes of mine. So that is my team. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> um, all right, Lilia, thank you so much for taking the time here chatting on the, on the episode. I think you brought tremendous value here to the audience. So we're just on behalf of the audience, thank you so much. Thank you, appreciate you. Have a great day. All right, that was the episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to give it a thumbs up and let me know in the comments about your thoughts and biggest learnings from the episode. I'm always super curious about that. You can also tag me in a post about your biggest takeaway and share your insights with others to pass on your learnings. If the episode provided you a lot of value, make sure to follow, subscribe and share it with friends and colleagues so they also have the chance to learn and grow. Until next time, cheers.